I'm Howard Bergen with Christian Schools International. I work in the employee benefits area, so we do retirement plans, health plans for our schools in Canada and the U.S. So this one's going to talk retirement from a U.S. perspective. Um, so we're going to we're going to look at it. Um, both how much money do you need, and then where do you get that money from? We have a change with our pension plan that we're freezing, so now it puts much more responsibility on you to give thought to how much money should you be saving now. So it's a different environment. Um, and you'll need to be sort of more actively involved uh, for yourself personally to make some of these decisions. So we'll try to give you some guidance on sort of knowing how much you need to be saving now. Closer to retirement, that's going to be easier than if you're further away from retirement. Uh, we'll give you some ideas to think about with that. This works better if we make this an informal kind of setting. Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to start talking about how much money you might need. Here's a hand up. We'll start out talking about how much money you might need in retirement. Sure. <laughs> then we will um, take a look at sources of income. Uh, we'll talk about Social Security. We'll talk about the CSI pension and things you need to think about for that and how it would be a piece. And then we'll talk about um, the defined contribution world. We'll look at it from helping you give some thoughts on how much to save. Um, and the tricky part there is how much does your savings buy you in retirement, so to speak. So we'll talk about some things related to that as well. So that's the kind of things we're going to cover. Again, as we go along, feel free to ask questions and just let's make this influence. So page one, flipping beyond the cover page. Page at the back. 
This comes from some government statistics. And this says that a retiree household on average is spending about $52,000 a year. And you can see it broken out into various categories. It's an average. Um, so this one is, uh, here's a hand up. This one is a household of 1.8 people. So it's not very realistic in that regard. But um, to give you some perspective on what um, people might spend. If you notice the bottom footnote, your housing makes a big difference. Whether you own, whether you rent, whether you still have a mortgage. Um, so your housing situation in retirement can make quite a difference on income needs to provide for your house. Um, back on the white pages, page three, another rule of thumb is to compare to your income right before retirement. This is probably the most commonly used for planning purposes. And the rule of thumb is 70 to 80%. Now, I think 70 to 80% is low. Um, I think it needs to be a bit higher than that. Um, some, I'm seeing more and more financial people talk 90%. Um, it, 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 it can just depend. Part of it depends on what age you retire. You know, if you're retiring before age 65, you really need a higher replacement percent than if you're retiring at 67 because you've got more years of retirement fund and there'll be more years of inflation um, impacting your income sources with that. But we'll use, we'll, we'll take a look at some, when we do some modeling, we'll, we'll kind of look at this 70 to 80% type thing, because that, that's a helpful way to point. Another way is to look at your household budget. Put some blue sheets back there that would sort of help walk you through that. This is really helpful if you're close to retirement. You know, if you're a few years away and you're thinking, okay, what do we need retirement? Then what your current budget is, your household budget, gives you a better feel, because you know like, well, okay, three years when I retire, this would stop, or maybe our travel's gonna go up. You have a better feel what your, your, your living conditions, expenses are with that. So that's a third one. Two things, um, and I don't have notes on this in here, but to talk about, as you think about how much money do I need in retirement? Um, the first thing is healthcare. People underestimate how much health care is going to cost them in retirement. They think, well, I get Medicare. You do, but it's still very expensive. Um, you need to pay for Part B of Medicare. You have to pay that premium. But Medicare doesn't cost, cover everything. So almost everyone buys either a supplement to Medicare, or you can buy what's a Medicare replacement plan, which is now called Medicare Advantage. For those of you who are closer, maybe sort of getting that, but um, it's expensive. Um, so we have in our retiree program, we have a retiree plan that we have for our, our, our people in our schools. Uh, it's a comprehensive plan, so it, it's good coverage, it includes dental, um, so it, it's comprehensive. But between that and Medicare Part B, that's costing, for one retiree, it costs them $5,500 a year. So that's, even though they have Medicare, they're still having to pay, excuse me, 
$5,500 a year um, for health care. That's a lot of money. Um, if you're two-person, it's $11,000. That's probably more than you're having to pay out of your pocket today at school. So going into retirement, your health care costs are probably going to go up significantly compared to before retirement. So then I said, well, okay, so what would those numbers look like in 20 years? Because health care has inflation attached to it. Um, pretty meaningful inflation uh, has been the, the, the trend. Um, so I said, well, what if it goes up 5% a year? What's it going to cost a retiree 20 years from now? Well, for one person, 15000 For two people, 30000 now, some of you think, well, that's, that's impossible. All that, though, is taking today's, if I'd say, today is costing $5,500, which it is. Um, do you think health care could go up 5% a year over the next 20 years? You'd say, well, yeah, I could imagine that. Well, that means in 20 years, it's going to cost 15000 a year for one person. Now, this is comprehensive health insurance. You can buy Medicare replacement plans for less than that, but then they cover less. So it's a, it's a matter of, this one is sort of like a very comprehensive. With this, with this one, I'm quoting you now, your out-of-pocket costs would be capped at $1,500 a year. So you'd pay your $5,500 in premiums. The most you'd spend on top of that is another $1,500. So it's very comprehensive. A lot of... A lot of Medicare replacement plans have, like, your out-of-pocket costs can go up to $5,500 or something. Then you pay more premium, too. So, um, that way. Howard, that's at age 65, right? Yes. Yeah, Medicare starts at age 65, separate from Social Security income. So your Medicare can start at 65. And you're saying that 55 would be, like, secondary plan? Or... Prescription? Supplemental. Supplemental. Um, yes, Medicare, uh, Medicare, yeah, Medicare doesn't cover everything. So people typically buy, you can buy, you can either buy Medicare and then buy a supplement. The trend now, though, is you buy, it's kind of like a Medicare replacement plan. It's called Medicare Advantage. Really what the government does then is the government gives an insurance company a certain amount of money. And then the insurance company's responsible rather than the government being responsible. Uh, and those, the, those are usually more cost-effective than just doing Medicare through the government. So most people are going with these Medicare replacement programs. And that's what we do with our plan, too. We used to have supplements to Medicare, but then the government let the private sector take over, which is kind of an irony in healthcare because you're hearing so much about doing the opposite, but actually in the Medicare world, the government is acknowledging that the private sector is doing better um, and allowing that to happen, and that's where most people are doing their insurance now as retirees. Second area when you're thinking, how much money do I need in retirement is how long do you need that money for? If you're typical, you're going to live longer than you think you are. Studies have been done to demonstrate that. One study that was done said um, a 65-year-old, their life expectancy is age 85. 
So what are the odds that they're going to live to age 85? Well, the answer is 50%. But people thought there was only, most people thought there was only a 35% chance that you'd live to your life expectancy. So people are thinking that you really die younger than we actually do. The same survey said, take a 65-year-old couple. What are the odds that one or both of them is going to be alive at age 97? 25% chance. Probably nobody here guessed 25 or higher. You were all guessing lower. And that's just taking, that's, this is actually mortality tables of about six years ago that this survey was built off of. So if you're typical, you're going to budget fewer years than you are going to have to actually be paying that health care bill for. Remember, I budgeted 20 years out. What if you're that 25% that's trying to pay that health care bill at age 97? So maybe that's 30 years after retirement? Tack on 10 more years. That's a big bill. So when you're planning for retirement, health care, you're probably going to cost you more than you were thinking. And really understand mortality tables and how long we're expected to live. Uh, because we're underestimating the wrong way on those in terms of it could cause us pain later in life, that health care is costing more and we're still alive and we pay that bill. All right, that's the doom and gloom part. Let's go to income. All right, Social Security. Some of you say, well, let's just skip this one because I'm so young, it's not going to be here for me. I think Social Security will be here for everyone in the room. Um, it's a significant percent of our population. That's their only retirement income. It's Social Security and nothing else. Um, and there's a lot of people who are 40 years old, and they don't have anything saved for retirement. As a nation, we cannot get rid of Social Security. If we would, we'd have to replace it with something else to help people financial. Um, because it's, it's, it's what's keeping people out of poverty, per se. So uh, if you're younger, you probably are going to have to work longer than 67 to get the full benefit. That's currently the cap. Um, benefit might not be as large as someone who's 67 today gets proportionally, but it's still going to have to be a meaningful part um, for our society. Um, it's just, it, it, people are just not adequately saving on their own. And so Social Security just has a vital need to stay, keep, keep filling. Um, so again, it's a graduated when you get your full Social Security. Um, anywhere from 65 to 67. You can start it early. Uh, you could start it as early as 62. If you start it early, it's reduced because it's going to be paid for more years. But you can also start it late. If you start it late, you get a bigger benefit because it's going to be paid for fewer years. Social Security annually gets an increase for inflation. Now, I don't think Social Security increases will keep up with the retiree household inflation, but it'll go a long way. 
So that's a very valuable benefit is to have a benefit that goes up every year for inflation. Big conversations around when should you start Social Security. Um, it used to be just six, eight years ago, the prevailing sort of wisdom was started as early as possible. And to me, I always thought, that just is crazy. That, that to me did not make sense. I always thought started as late as possible. Now the prevailing consensus is started as late as possible. Um, and the reason being is, so as late as possible is basically age seven. Okay? And the reason is, is it goes up about 8% a year for every year you delay it. Well, try to, try to invest and do that as a guaranteed investment in today's climate. That's not going to happen. Um, but So let's say you delay Social Security three years from 67 to 70. That's a 24% increase in your benefit. And now that benefit's going to go up with inflation every year. So for me personally, I'm, I'm looking to retire. I'm, right now I'm thinking 66, 67 is when I'm thinking to retire. But I'm not planning to draw my Social Security till I'm 70. And I will use some of my personal savings to cover my costs until I turn 70 and start Social Security. So give thought to when you start Social Security. And again, this is all predicated around what if you're that 97-year-old, okay? Because your risk in retirement from a financial perspective is that you don't die. You know, it's kind of like, we don't want to die. Yeah, but the longer you live, the more money you got to save right now for that retirement. So that, that's your challenge. But then some people say, but wait a minute. I know somebody, they retired at 65 and they died at 66. Look what they lost out on. Well, think about if that's you. So you retire at 65 instead of 64 or 63. Then you die a year later. Is that going to bother you? <laughs> it bothers you now to think about it. You think, oh, if I'd have known that, I'd have retired at 55. <laughs> but if it actually happens, you're not going to care. But if you retired at 63, and now you're that 97-year-old, probably going to, yeah, maybe you won't I care anymore. Care. <laughs> uh, but it might bother you. Your kids. Yeah, probably bother your kids more. Yeah. Why is dad living in the basement? <laughs> All right, any questions on Social Security? Yeah. So, so in that scenario, I, I, I had 66, and I had four of my wife. So, for Social Security? Yeah. Well, generally speaking, for Social Security, you get. You get Social Security based on your own earnings record, 
or if you're married, you can get 50% of your spouse's Social Security amount, whichever is larger. Okay, so that's generally speaking. Um, now, it gets complicated if you both are working, both have Social Security, one of you retires earlier. There's scenarios where someone could retire, start their benefit, then when the spouse retires, switch over to theirs if it's a higher amount. Um, there's things where you could discontinue yours and then become a spousal 50% one, but then you retire later and then do yours. When you're in the retirement years and in the, in the 60s, your age 60s range, there's different nuances. Um, and it can get very complicated. And you just Google, Google it, and there's all kinds of these scenarios. But what I have found is Social Security staff, the people there, um, I've heard positive feedback from them. Um, go talk to Social Security and say, okay, here's us. What are the, here's things we're thinking about doing. How should we draw our Social Security based on that? And I've heard positive comments from people who have done that. Um, so it's not a simple, okay, so what about my spouse um, type of thing. It depends on how much Social Security they would have on their own compared to yours, etc. So, yeah. so you only get the spousal benefit if you give up your own? You only get the spousal if you give up your own. So basically you get the greater of the two. This so you look at yours, you look at the 50% of your spouse, whichever is larger you get. Well, you know what today is? Was there... Oh, uh, you said you can retire and do not draw social security, right? Is that yes. Okay, CSI pension, I want to just touch on a couple things quick with that one. Um, as I mentioned, um, hard freeze is past September 1. Basically, that all came around. Schools decided they no longer wanted the risk of having to earn 7.5% a year on investments, because that's what our plan's target has been. Um, they no longer wanted the risk of having to provide benefits for life. Um, and they no longer wanted to deal with PBGC premium, which has been a killer for us. 10 years ago, they were $300,000 a year. Now they're seven million a year. It's just killed us. Um, we're working hard legislatively to fix that. So you might get a request at some point, and you, hopefully you have in the last year a couple different times, contact your representative, contact your senator. Um, you might be, hopefully you'll be getting another one of those later this fall. Um, right now our focus is on the Senate. We have legislation, the House passed it like 411 to 3. Um, it's over at the Senate now. But it's very hard to pass legislation. Uh, we, have, we have strong support in the Senate. Right now if there was a vote, it'd be 97 to 3 in the Senate um, to approve this legislation. The problem is floor time on the Senate is so precious, we can't get them to bring it to the, to the floor for a vote. Um, in the Senate, they have this unanimous consent. So if all 100 senators said fine, they don't have to bring it to a floor vote. we got three senators who said, yeah, no. So they're holding it up. Um, so now our strategy is to try to find a must-have bill and attach it to it. And we're hoping to be able to do that 
before the end of the year. That's our strategy. But it's 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 hard in Washington right now because uh, this this bill has broad support. Like I said, in the House and Senate, it would only have six votes against it, seven votes, and maybe it was four in the House. But we're just the the mechanics of it. We're, we're not able to push it over just yet. But but continuing to try. I'm just curious. Earlier you said, uh, is it the COLA is 8% of the adjustment for Social Security? Yeah. No, the, if you delay it. Right. Yes. It was 8%? Um, it's, it's, forget that I got the exact number. It's about 8%. And you had said in today's climate, that's a pretty good return if you, if you, if you delay it. Right. Yes. And then the CSI's goal is seven and a half percent. Yes. So that half percent, that is realistic, or would have been? Well, I, I, I can, I can yeah. talk that. Sure. Um, so CSI pension, we, we have a budget. We say, okay, we put in this much money. If people live this long, if we earn X percent, what kind of benefit can we provide? And we set the benefit formula. So you have a plan that's been around since 1943. When I showed up, our expected return was 7.5% um, for the plan. That was our budget. But if you modeled our investments, we probably were targeting to earn 9. Okay? Well, today it's still 7.5, and I'll explain why in a minute. But now we only expect to earn about 7.8%. So we still are expected to earn 7.5%, but we don't have the cushion we used to have. So my vote would be, instead of assuming that we're going to earn 7.5%, let's lower it to 6.5%. That'd be my vote. But here's the challenge. we got to come up with the money. So if we're not going to come up with the money on investments, it's cash from our schools. You can't lower the investments without increasing the contributions from the schools. And our schools have said, we're not putting any more money in this plan. So we can't lower the investments. Because if we did, the government would say, you have to put more money in. And the loud and clear message from our schools is, we want to put no more money in this plan. That's our challenge. I would like to lower it to six and a half. I'd sleep better at night. What is the bill exactly that you're saying that's trying to be passed? It's called the SECURE Act, S-E-C-U-R-E. S-E-C-U-R-E, SECURE Act is the acronym name for it. And it's a lot more than just our PBGC relief. There's stuff in there to help define contribution, be able to increase those contributions. There's a lot of stuff in it. So a lot of people supporting it. CSI pension is hard frozen, but a couple things continue. If you're not yet vested, got to have five years to be vested, and vested means you qualify for a pension at retirement. If you're not yet vested, you continue to earn vesting service. Okay, so that continues. If you're retired, you can't work half-time or more at a participating school and get your pension. So it's called suspension of benefits. That continues. Now, it used to be that your benefit would be suspended, and you'd become an active participant in the plan again, earn a higher pension, retire the second time, 
we start up your pension and add to it the new pension you earn. Well, now that it's frozen, there's no new benefit earned. So you might say, well, why suspend the benefit then? Because if we don't, the costs of the plan go up. And again, the message from our schools is do nothing to increase costs. So suspension of benefits will continue um, under the plan as well. So just a couple things that um, really the only thing that changes no new benefit accruals, but sort of all the other rules are still in place. So the CSI pension, it's an annual benefit for life. It does not have the cost of living like Social Security. So in a little bit we'll talk about a strategy of how you deal with it. Um, encourage you, so now no new benefit accruals. In December you're going to get a statement that will show what your benefit in the plan is. That's a good statement to look at, hang on to, um, because that's now, next year you're not going to get one with a bigger number on it. Um, the number is going to stay the same. Um, for that. Yes. What, what is, how does CSI define working part-time? Is it by hours? Is it by hours. money? Hours. hours. Less than a thousand hours a year. And that's a government number. So you have to work. You could work at a non-participating school and work full-time. It's just that if you're at a participating school, it has to be under a thousand hours in order to draw your pension. It's from our plan year. The pension plan year is September 1 to August 31. So it's that window. It's a full year. Yes. So if you're... Yeah, you could work 900 hours in the first four months of a year. But as long as it's less than 1,000 in the plan year. Is that school day hours? Is that coaching hours? Is that coaching it's hours? It's hours. It's not under the table. So, so it's um, it's what, what I kind of say is people. I mean, generally speaking, every school is a little different. But you know what a full-time teacher requirement is. You don't know how many hours that is. And for every teacher, it's a different number of hours. Some spend more time prepping than another one. But basically, so if you're hiring a, a teacher, so it's not an hourly paid position. So you, you kind of compare it then to, well, what's the requirement of this position compared to a full-time? Is it 55% required? Is it 50% of it? Well, then that means it'd be a suspension position where we couldn't do the pension. 403B, 401K plans, that's our new world that we're moving to. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit more in a bit about saving for that. But I want to just keep going along here to make sure we cover the things in our time. Um, just to help put some perspective around on page eight and nine, just want to try to give, help give some perspective. So what we're doing here is we're taking different people, three people who are single, three people who are married. The only thing different between the married and the single is we're assuming under the married, the spouse is not qualified for their own social security. So they're getting 50% of the employee's Social Security. It's the only difference in here. Um, and we're saying, so, okay, here's their income. Um, looking at after tax and saying, they get Social Security. What's the gap to replace 70 to 80% of income? 
and you can see the single people need another 40 plus percent from somewhere else to hit the 70 to 80 percent replacement target and the other one is the Mary and it's down in the 20s percent because they get more Social Security coming in. Next two pages. So these are participants in our plan. Just to give some, now this is only going to be helpful for those of you closer to retirement, um, but to give some perspective. So these are people that have been more kind of in our 3% plan range, because we have different ranges of where you can be um, in our plan from contributions. These are people that have been in the plan like 40 years. It's a long time. But their CSI pension is going to replace about 40-ish percent of income. Did you say they did 3%? So if they did 3%, the school matched 3%? Right. So, so, right. so if you're in a school that did 6-6, six, 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 for 40 years, it'd be double that. Okay. okay. But, so anyway, that's what CSI. So the next page is people that were in a higher level. We're using 5%-ish. But there you can see the replacement is in the 60% range. So if it's true that... 70 to 80 is adequate. You can see that after Social Security, the CSI pension would do an excellent job of doing replacement. Now, a lot of our people don't have 40 years in their plan. Okay, that's that's not overly common to have someone with 40 years in the plan. We get a lot of people with 25-ish or so years in the plan when they're at retirement. So. What you can do now, though, is now you know what your CSI pension is. You can look out and model what you think your income is going to be at retirement and see what the replacement would be. You can go online and do retirement projections yourself if you want. Run them for 62, 70, whatever. Um, and then or you can ask us to do them for you. Uh, Brenda Addy at CSI, she's down in the exhibit hall. She's got a laptop right there. She could do some for you right now and email them to you if you want. Or you can just stop by and say, hey, run me retirement projections. She'll take down your name and she'll run them when she gets back to the office and shoot you an email with it. Um, do some retirement projections so you know what your CSI pension is because that will help you toward how much you need to save for that. All right, continuing along. You got questions, jump in and holler. You said that December's statement you're going to get. You'll get a statement in December. That's not going to adjust at all from here on out. It's not going to be adjusted for inflation or anything. That's, Correct. That's the number. We're the statement you get in December, because we're not accruing new benefits. Uh, now, if you're not vested yet, you'll, it'll keep showing change in vesting. So if you have less than five years. So your statement a year from now would show your vesting. Maybe you went from three years to four years. But anyway. I have a question about vesting. Does it need to be continual? No. Like nope. It doesn't need to be continual. It could be one year here, one year there, one year here, just so it's five. Is there spousal benefits with the pension plan? Um, so we're going to talk about at retirement how you can cover your spouse. So we'll get into that. What about death? So if you die before retirement, um, your spouse would start getting an immediate pension. And it's it's treated as if you had retired early. 
and was a 50% survivor benefit, um, is what a person would get, the spouse, the survivor. Um, so we have 43-year-old spouses getting pensions. They're a surviving spouse. 50% of the early, or 50? If you're under age 45, it's as if you had retired at 55, okay. started your pension <laughs> and died, whatever that 50% survivor benefit would be. If you're older than 45 and die, it's 50% of your accrued benefit, which would be a higher number than a 50% survivor benefit, is what the spouse would get immediately. So it's 50% of what you would have gotten if you retired at 55. Um, if, 50%, if you're over 45, it's 50% of your accrued benefit. Not what it would be if, if you paid it at 55. It's just 50% of your accrued benefit. So it's a much it's a much more value, it's a higher number. Early retirement. Um, just want to point out that there's a price tag to retire early. Now the CSI pension has some elements in it that that help you be able to retire early. Um, your benefits that you earned before 2005, you can start them at 62 without a reduction for early retirement. Okay, so that, that's, a, that's a significant help. You say that again? Your benefits that you earned before 2005, you can start those at age 62 without a reduction for early retirement. Okay. Benefits you earned after 2005 would be reduced if you started before 65. But we have a little thing you can do with that that we'll talk about in a minute. You can start your pension at two different times. You can start your 2005 at 62 and save the other piece and start it at 65 when it wouldn't be reduced, if you would so choose. Why wouldn't you choose it? Why wouldn't you? Yeah. You can't afford to. And you have to be less than half time at a CSI school. A lot of people change careers at 62. That's a very viable strategy. Um, so early retirement, just wanting to point out that even though we have some things that help, and we, we assumed you started your Social Security here at 62. Um, so at the bottom of page 15, so basically, instead of getting a CSI pension of 58,000, it's 52,000. Instead of getting Social Security at 21, it's 16. So it's going to cost them $11,000 a year for life to retire three years early. In a lump sum, that's worth $150,000. Now maybe you do that and go out and have another job and earn $150,000 doing something else. That's a viable strategy. Or you don't start your Social Security and go out and earn more than that so that you can delay your Social Security to get those increases and not get a reduction. So some people think, just, just trying to help give perspective on a price tag to retire. Okay, choices at retirement, and then we're going to talk about how much to save. So CSI pension is a benefit for life. You can get a benefit that's paid for your lifetime only. That would be the largest number you would get. You could get a benefit that's paid for five or ten years. That's on the bottom of page 16. So let's say you're 65 
and you want to get a pension paid only for your lifetime, but you want to get it for 10 years. You want a guarantee of 10 years. So you're going to have to pay about 3%. You're getting a reduction of about 3% for that. Okay, so that's the price tag to buy a 10-year guarantee is your pension is going to be reduced 3%. So if you buy the 10-year guarantee, you live eight years and die, we pay two more years to your beneficiary. If you buy the 10-year guarantee and live 30 years and die, benefits would stop at death because you got more than 10 years. Okay. Now, what happens if you have a spouse? So you can have it that your spouse would get 50% of your benefit, 75% of yours, or 100% of your benefit. The more your spouse gets of your benefit, the higher price you pay to buy that benefit. So let's assume that you want the 75%, your spouse is 57, so the price is that 0.8770. So on the top of the next page, let's say your benefit is $1,000. So we apply the 0.8770, so we're going to pay you $877 a month, not 1000 at your death, if your spouse is still alive, they'll get 75% of 877 for their life. Okay? If you do retirement calcs or have us do retirement calcs for you, all of your choices will be shown to you dollars and cents. What you would get, what your spouse would get. It'll all be on there. So that's why another reason to do retirement projections or have us do them for you. You'll see all the numbers. Next one, Papa. Okay? A little bit different. So instead of getting $877, you're going to get $870 in this example. So what'd you get with that seven bucks? What'd you buy? Well, in the first example, if your spouse dies before you, your benefit stays $877. If you buy the Papa, and your spouse dies before you, your benefit will pop up to the $1,000 one. Okay? So that's the only difference. It, 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 was a, it was an actuarial benefit that's allowed, so we've added it. It's been relatively popular. Um, some people do it, some people don't. So how do you know which one to choose? Okay? That's the trick for people. The first trick is when to retire, and then they look at them and think, well, now what do we choose? <laughs> so here's what we tell people. One, you don't have to make the decision until you retire. So you don't have to try to figure this out when you're 40 years old. Okay? So what we tell people is, okay, so you got husband, wife, you got income and expenses. So start with husband and say, okay, if husband dies first, what's going to happen to household income? Does anything change? Is there a life insurance policy that brought some income in or what? Um, if husband dies first, what happens to household expenses? Do they change? Do they go down? Do they go up? Because now you can spend on the stuff he wouldn't let you. What, what happens? Then go back and say, okay, now if wife dies first, what happens to household income? What happens if wife dies first to household expenses? If you'd say, well, you know what? No matter who dies first, nothing changes with income and nothing changes with expenses, you'd want to choose the 100% survivor benefit. Because what you're saying is the household needs the same amount of income no matter who dies first. Now, likely you're going to say... 
expenses are going to go down. Two cars to one car, maybe. Healthcare is definitely going to go down for the household. So that would warrant maybe the 75 or maybe the 50. We have married participants taking the single life benefit. Now, before you start thinking, oh, your spouse has to sign off on this. We cannot do that without your spouse's signature. So you think, why on earth would a spouse sign off that they will get nothing? Well, we have about a 75% female pool of people. Um, and the, the female maybe only had 25 years in the CSI pension plan. The husband is set pretty well. And the husband says, you know what, honey, odds are you're going to outlive me. I want to make sure you're taken care of. I can do fine if for some reason you die before me, but I want you to get 100% of your pension. I don't need any of it. And they sign off. That, and that's usually the case. It's usually a female participant. Husband says, look, I'm fine. I want you to get the most you can, and they sign off on it. So there's no... There's no sort of like right answer as to what do you choose on that. All right, I want to talk saving for retirement. Um, so I am jumping to page 20. Was there a question? Yeah, the two-stage one. Okay, the two stages that gets to that. So you could start your benefit before 2005 that you've earned. You could start that at 62 without reduction then. But benefits you've earned after 2005 would be reduced, so you wait until 65 to start them. <coughs> or you could start at 63 or 64, the, the before 05, and then at yep. 65 start the other. So if you will give us those numbers too. If we... That's on the retirement. You do the retirement calc or ask it to do it for you, it will show your two stage. All right, saving for retirement much more important for us now because um, it's, it's going to become it, it, it's, it's what we're adding to for our retirement. So um, we talk about it on page 19 and 20 but I think maybe it might be most helpful is if you go to um, jumping back here I find my page Let's go to page 13. Put a chart in here to try to help you. So let me explain this chart. So what this is, is um, this is built on someone making 10000 a year and saving 1% of income. Okay. Um, so the very first line is someone five years away from retirement. So they're going to save 100 bucks a year. Um, we actually are figuring they're getting a 4% salary increase, which, believe it or not, is kind of the average for our group. But keep in mind, people get, you know, we have the ladders for the early years. Um, so let's say this person's going to make 6% on their money. So you see the third column there says 6% investment return. So after five years, they're going to have $608. So if they save $100 a year, earn 6% of $608. Okay, if you're 10 years away from retirement, 
you've saved about $1,000, and then the investment returns, so you have about $1,500. So now here's what you can do with this table. So let's say instead of making $10,000, you're making $50,000. Okay, so let's just use that 10-year line. We'll use the 10-year line, and I'm gonna use 7.5%, because that's where our pension number is. Um, um, and my guess is probably most of you in your 401k nows are investing pretty aggressively. Um, but probably somewhere between the six and the seven and a half. But we'll just look at the seven and a half because the number will make you feel better than the six. <laughs> um, so you see that 1661. Well, so if you're making 50,000 instead of 10,000, that's five times. So you take that number times five, and that's how much you'd have. But let's say you're saving 10% instead of 1%. Well, now you take that number times 50, okay? So think of the salary. This is built on 10,000. So let's say your salary is six times that, 60,000. Okay, so that's six. And now let's say you're saving 8% of pay. You take the six times eight, okay, so 48. And you take 48 times whatever column. So find out how many years away from retirement. Choose an investment return number. Find your number there, and then take it times that earlier factor, okay? So this is a quick way that you could just get a little bit of flavor on if I'm making this much money, and I save X percent of it, and I earn, choose a column, how much would I have? And the percent would be um, taken into account also with the school. Right, so let's say you're in a school that the school contributes 3%, and you contribute 3 so that'd be 6%. So understand the chart now. So you get to retirement, and you have $500,000. Is that good? I don't know. Is that enough money? Is your house paid off? <laughs> so how do you know how much to spend each year? So, um, so and, and, and I'm going to add this to the presentation for next year. But, so I don't have this in here. But So for example, um, if you think you're going to earn 6% a year on your money, you could, with, and you're 65 years old, we'll say, okay? And you want your money to last till you're 100, so 35 years. You want the money to last for 35 years. You could withdraw about 5% a year and give yourself a 2% raise every year for inflation, and your money would last for 35 years, okay? If you think inflation is gonna be 3% and you're gonna earn 6%, you could withdraw about 4.5% of your balance and give yourself a 3% raise every year, and your money would last 35 years. Now, a quick rule of thumb that you'll often see is you can withdraw 4% a year of your balance. You can actually draw a bit more than that. Um, 
but my strategy means in 35 years you run out of money. Okay? You might want to strategy. Some people say, I never want to spend the principal. I want, I want to leave the principal to my kids. Okay, that's fine. Then it won't be as much money. Because if you're not ever going to touch the principal, then, and you're earning 6%, well, if you want to give yourself raises, you've got to draw something a little bit less than 6% um, for that. Now, the tricky part, though, is, too, is you might retire, have your $500,000, and a year after you retire, the market's crashing, your $500,000 went to $350,000. And you've got a problem. So then you say, well, okay, so then I'm going to invest it very conservatively. Okay, so now you're only earning 3% a year. That's a whole new ball game if you look at the chart of how much money you can spend each year. So, um, give thought to that. And I'm going to add that table that will elaborate more. I gave a couple examples of, of, of sort of spending policies based on what you think inflation might do versus what you might earn on your money with that. So, that's what you need to start now kind of thinking along the lines of is, what income do I need? Sort of really, that's, what's that annual number I need? And then think through, okay, so what lump sum of money would pay me that for 35 years or whatever you choose? Does that make sense, that general concept? Um, it's, it's really key that you now start thinking through, how much do I save? 6%? You will be teaching until you're 90. If that's all you're saving, or doing something else, 6% is not going to cut it. So this is going to sound depressing, but if you're with your 4%, this doesn't apply to me, thankfully. You need a million dollars in the bank just to draw 40,000 a year. Yep. So you're all going to be millionaires if you're young, if you ever want to retire. Yep. Inflation. So, CSI pension does not go up with inflation. Um, so, what, what I would encourage you to do as part of your saving strategy, okay, is save a pool of money where you give your CSI pension a raise every year. Okay? So, for myself, I've decided that I'm going to save up enough money that, I mean, I'm, I'm saving more, but I'm, I'm, I've got a designated number I need that I could give my CSI pension a 4% raise every year for 30 years. Okay? That's, that's, that's a savings goal that I set for myself because I know there's going to be inflation. I'm conservative, so I'm going to budget for 4% inflation in my retirement, and I'm going to have enough money saved that I have 30 years where I can give myself a 4% raise on my CSI pension. Because else every year, my standard of living is going to go down as inflation goes up and my CSI pension number is not going to change. Okay? So another way is you think, how much money do I need in retirement? Just give thought to what your CSI pension would be, and then have some money so you can give yourself a raise. In retirement for that. Make sense? 
quick calculation. So CSI pension is forty thousand. Oh, um, I, I I don't have a quick comparator on that. Last year, you would, but the what's that? I thought last year you said like two hundred fifty thousand dollars. I don't remember saying a number, but if 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 when you look at, I forget my numbers now because I, I I set this target a ways back and then I've just been saving. But um, my memory is in that thirtieth year, the raise I give myself is a bigger number than my CSI pension started out at. So my CSI pension started out at 30,000, we'll say. I think in my 30th year, my raise was more than 30,000. And compound interest, that whole concept? That's what I'm thinking. That's, runs, that's a runs, huge number. And I'm using 4%. So that's conservative. So, so my, my expectation is it won't be 4, but... That's just what I've chosen to save. All right. Uh, the very last page summary. So, what age do you plan to retire? The earlier. Um, everything works against retiring early. So, the lower your retirement savings are going to be, you've got less time to save, and you got to protect your income from inflation for a longer period of time. But what level of income do you need? Um, it's very different, the, the, the level of income. Some people, they, they don't need near as much going into retirement. Other people have retirement goals, et cetera, that they're going to be spending more money in retirement than they were when they were working. It varies a lot, so you have to factor that in. Um, and then assess all your sources of income. But the biggie right now is, it's on you. It's always has been. But when we had the CSI pension with schools putting in that 5 to 6%, which was actually 10 to 12%, you could sort of not really do anything and come out okay. That's no longer the case. Um, some of you younger ones in the room, kudos to you. You're going to be okay, but you're unusual. Um, the typical American is not saving near enough for retirement. Um, and us in our schools are typical Americans. We're not unique like, wow, we're, we're the ones who are saving for retirement. Um, it's a message we've got to get out to ourselves now. Um, for 20 years from now, our schools are going to be having another problem. A whole bunch of you that they wish would retire, and you're like, I can't afford to retire. Um, that that challenge will be coming. Um, it's just going to take us 20 years to get there. All right. Any other questions, comments? I got a question. Uh, these payments these schools are making to yeah. keep this afloat are a big commitment, huge commitment. And are some of these schools dropping out of the CSI because these payments? Are too much for them? Well, the payments are required. CSI. So a school does two things. They either make the annual payment or there's a withdrawal number they can pay and cash out and hold them. They have to do one of the two. But those are reducing the risk. Schools said we don't want the risk of having to earn seven and a half. The only way to get rid of the risk is to put more money in the plan. 
They don't want the risk of paying benefits for life. The only way we're going to get rid of that is to pay an insurance company to take it over. And insurance companies only invest to earn like 3%. So an insurance company needs a whole lot more money than if they were going to invest to earn 7%. So our only way to get rid of the risk is to put more money in the plan. And that will take a long time. In the current atmosphere of Christian education, it's not going up as far as population kids going in. Yep. It's actually going down. So I'm concerned about the ability of these schools to pay these because we have all these people retiring, which is a huge part of the tree. And the roots where you're getting this money might be shrinking. Um, it could. Yeah, it, it hard freezing a pension plan and it's called de-risking is kind of your most expensive choice. But it's the choice we decided we wanted to do to get rid of the risk. So it's the path we're on. It will be challenging. And if it fails, there's an insurance behind it by the government. You, the government, the, the, the downside of PBGC is they raised our premiums from 300000 to $7 million. As a participant, we have the PBGC. So if they ever step in, they will pay your pension. Which I talked to someone who had to have they got about 50% of their Everyone in this room. Retirement. Back. All of you, they have a cap on how much it'll be. Right. But none of you are hitting the cap. You would get 100% of your benefit. The cap is pretty high. Airline pilots, some of these others, yeah, they get capped. But, but with the PBG PBGC. to take over, whole system has to implode. Um, well, words, in other words, if you get enough schools to say, uncle, there's no more cash flow, then right. the system shuts down. So then it goes to PBGC, but the PBGC will go knock on every school's door and look for money. Correct. Right. So they just go down the line, yes. and the last school standing owes about a bazillion dollars. The, yes. PBGC's perspective... That is the nuclear option, people. People's per, the PBGC's opinion is there's 137 schools in this plan. If only one school could afford to pay it all, they would ask that school to pay it all. It's not like you have to pay your share. Your share is the whole pie. Right, and roughly what is the whole pie? Well, to get, enough, to get enough money for the... Well, the PBGC, we probably need about $400 million. Okay. More just for the PBGCs, what they would say they need. We got 750. It, every year it changes because of interest rates, so it's, it's kind of a goofy. It's a moving target. Our time is up. I don't want to keep you. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you.